Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So I actually grabbed a clip um, to start my sermon off today. I grabbed a clip from this week's small group. So it's going to be a kind of a teaser. It's a two-minute deal. It's a 14-minute small group video. So this is only, I don't know, it's about two minutes. But I wanted to, I wanted to share this with you and then, and, then just, and then just start into the message that I'm going to preach on today. I'm not even going to tell you what I'm going to preach on yet. Uh, I'll move this out of the way so you guys can see. Um, and then I will be right back. See ya. I have an overdose. The ambulance comes, they pick me up, and all I remember is that they're loading me up into the back of the ambulance. And I hear this voice that says, just give up. I had known from some time in that afternoon that I was dying. I never thought to pray, never thought about God. I knew that there was no life after death, and so the thought of death was just extremely terrifying because it just means end. I went into a spiral of depression, and it led me to active alcoholism at 21 years of age. My dad checked me into a hospital, and the second night that I'm there, my vision instantly went black. I'm now down, descending lower and lower into nothingness, and I just keep falling and falling and falling. It feels like somebody grabs me and drops me in this outer darkness, and I start racing down this black tunnel. And so as I'm going down, the next thing that comes to my head is, oh my God, I, I died and I'm going to hell. The people encircled me and kind of started leading me. As we journeyed, I'm aware I can't see anything anymore. It's pitch black. One study done of people who reported near-death experiences, and 23% actually had hellish experiences. So not every near-death experience is uh, blissful. At this point, I'm feeling more and more anxiety, more and more uh, pain than I even I, I felt on my worst day alive. There was no doubt in my mind, the hell of the Bible, this is where I am, this is where I'm gonna be forever. It's almost like there's an absence of hope, there's an absence of love, it's the absence of God. So I said, I'm not going any further. And they said, oh yes, you are. So they started to tug at me and push at me. And then that became biting and tearing and they were taking pieces of me. In my study of these hellish near-death experiences, a high percentage of people go on to make positive changes in their life. They become better people. They learn to face that fear, guilt, anger, those negative things they were dealing with in their life before they had that experience. I get to this place of desperation where I cry out to the Lord, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes down, and I feel the presence of God and in that place, I heard a voice. The voice said, pray to God. Our Father who art in heaven. I remember like these phrases out of prayers. And the people around me absolutely can't bear it. They would retreat further and further away. A thought comes into my heart, just one word. And so I yell, yes, into nothingness. I realized at that moment that who I said yes to was Jesus. So I was saying yes to him, and he was giving me that second chance. So today we're talking about uh, hell and human suffering. Um, these were near-death experiences of people. Uh, one of them is here in Austin, actually. He's a pastor in Austin, Pastor Paul Ojeda, um, who, yeah, had a hellish experience, and it woke him up. 
uh, it woke him up to the truth, and he turned to God and became a Christian. And um, so today I want to talk to you about hell and human suffering. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I thought, man, what? Let's see, how can I? How can I really encourage everybody? Well, let's preach on hell. Um, and uh, I know this isn't probably the sermon uh, that you were hoping to hear. It's probably not uh, the subject matter that really we want to even think about or, or talk about. But the truth is, uh, hell is real. And even NDEs um, have these experiences. 23% of, what is it, 13 million Americans um, report having a hellish experience. And most uh, agree that that's severely underreported because of the shame and trauma uh, that comes with these experiences. And so um, uh, I, I, I want to talk about, number one, there, there, are, there are these experiences, but number two, um, what the Bible has to say about this. And so we're going to look at um, hell and human suffering together because both hell and human suffering have come into existence because of sin. So it's important to understand right off the bat that God did not intend uh, for there to be a hell. His plan did not incorporate eternal suffering. His plan did not incorporate uh, Hades or even death, for that matter. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Death was not something that God made up. Death was something that we made. Uh, he warned us about it. Uh, but hell is very similar. Same thing with sickness and disease. God doesn't make people sick. He doesn't send diseases. Uh, he didn't invent diseases. And he's not interested in making people sick or dying. Um, he is a God of life. He said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And so it's important right off the bat when we talk about hell and when we talk about what is the ultimate, uh, honestly, the ultimate suffering, which is hell, but even human suffering here on this earth, it's important to understand this is not, from the beginning, this was not God's plan. Uh, that we serve a God who did not come up with these things in his mind. Rather, these are responses to sin. Um, we, we know that hell was created for the devil and his angels, Scripture says. It was created as a, as a holding place and a place of torment, and, a, and a, according to 1 Thessalonians, a place of retribution. Um, there's a lot of details about hell that uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'll go into so much. We do have kids here, and that one, that, that guy is sharing his story is pretty, pretty, pretty gruesome, pretty, pretty powerful. And if you want to hear more from those stories, they will be on the small group this week. So I'm teasing you to get you to log in and join us uh, just from your living room. Log in and join us. And uh, it's really interesting to me that these, these particular people almost were given kind of a second chance. I don't know that uh, the Bible talks about that in any way. Um, but certainly for their experiences, God had a plan, and it seems. And that, that part of that plan involved them coming back to earth. And living with the memory of what they experienced and so why God would do that I don't know you can ask him uh, but as for as for me what I read in Scripture is the, the, the absolute presence of hell and we don't have this on the screen but uh, Revelation chapter 20 gives us probably the clearest picture uh, of the end of the age and 20 verse 11 says then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it the earth and the heavens fled from his presence there was no place for them and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So there's, there's two different sets of books. It seems the first set has to do with um, people and their actions and their deeds, their lives, the books of their lives. Um, which, Pete, I don't know, do we have that? Do we have Clyde's video? Did we ever get that? 
Yeah, okay. So um, one, of our, one of our members shared a video with me, and unfortunately, I don't know, it's not, it's not it, when we put it in the, our computer, it did something weird. So I'm going to post that on Facebook this week for you guys to see, but uh, it's kind of a cool experience of one, one, one of the guys in our church um, where he had a near-death experience, and his experience was really literally Jesus just walking him through his entire life. Um, just walking him through his entire life because, he, uh, according to Clyde, you know, he wanted to make sure that he was ready for heaven. And so it's, it's, just, it's just interesting to me that, that many NDE, NDEers express that very same thing, that there's this sort of recap of, of your life, and yet it's from, it's from God's perspective. And so it's often weird to them. It's like, well, he skipped the good stuff. <laughs> that's, what, that's what one of the guys said. He's like, he's like I, I asked him, how come he skipped entire years? And he's like, well, nothing, nothing important happened during those years. <laughs> and uh, uh, because literally it was all about how, how, how he responded to God and how he responded to people. And that's all, that, that's all that Jesus was concerned about him watching. How he responded to God, how he obeyed God or didn't obey God. And um, man, it was just, it's powerful. So anyway, though, you'll, you'll be watching some of those videos um, here this week. But, but there's these books, which are the books of your life, the books of what you've been doing and, and how you've lived. But then there's another book. There's another book called the Book of Life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So God opens up these books and he keeps good records. And then verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades... Get this, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we understand that the books which are written against us will never get us to heaven. So you can't get to heaven by our good deeds. Rather, your name must be written in the Lamb's book of life which overrides what had previously been written about you. And now there's a new book. And I don't think it's just, I, most people think, it's, or they talk about it like it's just a name, like it's a list of names. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't think so because this other book isn't a list of names. It's a list of experiences. I think the Lamb's Book of Life is a list of experiences, your journey with Jesus. And so there's a new, there's a, there's a new history now. There's a new, the new birth. So you got to switch books. You're, you became a new person, a new creation. You got a new book. So anyway, and Jesus opens those, and, and, and those who are not in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire. I think it's interesting also that death itself and the old Hades, which is the current uh, holding place of, of, of the damned, uh, is also thrown into the lake of fire. So God, God sends death and hell to hell. And this is the second death, and this is the final death. Um, so I want to talk to you about this, but honestly, not so much from a clinical standpoint, um, as much as what does this mean for us? If Jesus were here today, and he was looking out at this, this crowd, and he was talking to this camera, um, and he was talking to the 28 people who are currently online Facebook right now, and I can't see the number on the website, but if he was, if he was talking to those people, what would... What would he say? Well, I think we, can, we have a wealth of knowledge about what he would say because honestly, he talked about hell a lot. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven, which is strange because most of us talk about heaven way more than we ever talk about hell. And part of that is because I think we're afraid of scaring people into being saved. And so um, I don't even know that I'm going to take an altar call today because literally that's not what talking about hell is about. It is literally, in fact, most of the time, the people that Jesus talked 
too about hell were not like people on 6th Street. They weren't like the world or what we would think of as sinners or pagans. They weren't completely lost. Jesus didn't go into to Pontius Pilate's house and say, hey, let me warn you about the, the fire, the lake of fire. Let me tell you, you don't, you don't want to. No, he didn't even mention it to Pilate. Like he had a conversation with Pilate. He didn't even mention hell. He had a conversation with some, with, with some secular leaders, some, some pagans that, that we, they worshiped other gods. And yet he never talked to them about hell. Most of the time, the people that Jesus talked to about hell, they were religious people. So that's why it's perfect to preach at church. This is a perfect sermon. It's perfect for Christians. It's perfect for people that, that believe themselves to never go there. Those are the people that Jesus talked to about hell. The people who believed that they would never go there. They were safe. They were good. Now, now to the lost and to those people, he said, come to me all who are thirsty and weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He gave a completely different message. But what's interesting is a lot of times at church, you never hear at church a sermon about hell. And it's reserved for those, for those cheesy, like, tracks, you know, that people leave at Starbucks, you know, because they don't want to actually hand it to you. So they leave it like, like I'm, I'm pouring sugar into my coffee, and it's like, oh, there's a track about hell. This is wonderful. And it's like this little thing, like, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And it's like, I mean, it's that kind of a thing. And it's intended to sort of, like, scare people to be like, oh, my goodness, I need to turn to God. And yet that's not the way Jesus used it. Jesus didn't, and he could have. Obviously, he knew a lot about hell, and he talked a lot about hell, but it was always to religious people. And so anyway, I want to I share with you uh, just what Jesus shares about hell. And, and one of the stories, one of the many stories, is found in Luke chapter 16. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it will be on the screen. And I'm just going to read through it once for the folks online. We're going to switch so that they can see the screen and, and read along with us. And then I'm going to come back. And then the folks online are just going to have to remember it, and it'll be on the screen for all of you all. Sound good? So uh, Luke 16, um, verse uh, 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me or mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now, that's, that's the turning point of the whole story, but now, he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all of this, between us and you is a great chasm has been set in, beside all of this, I love it, beside this whole but now thing. Like, beside all of this, this is a, that's, that's a really big deal, man. But you know what? Beside all of that, this wouldn't even work because there's a great chasm that's been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you, they can't, nor can anyone cross over from, from where you are to us. So verse 27, he answers, Then I beg you. The word then actually sort of means okay. 
Like, I'll stop asking for a tiny bit of relief. So instead, let me ask you something else. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers, and they're on their way here. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I'd like to go back to this this story and specifically the context of this story. Once again, Jesus is talking to religious people. Luke 16 is uh, it's really about a confrontation Jesus is having with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the most religious people of Jesus' day, and not even in a bad way. They weren't, uh, you know, evil necessarily. I mean, people didn't think they were evil. They, they were um, seen as, as extra holy people. Uh, because the, 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 the truth is, over 400 years, um, the people of God had fallen into compromise and decay. The Israelites had forsaken much of the law of Moses. They had turned away from, from, from much of, of the Pentateuch, which is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they, they had just begun to act a lot like their culture. And so the Pharisees came along, and you, you can read this historically. The Pharisees said, wait a minute, we need to turn back to Yahweh. We need to turn back to God. And we need to start doing the things that he called us to do. So the Pharisees, I mean, honestly, if I would have been alive in those days, I probably would have been a Pharisee. Because, because, because the Pharisees were, they, they were, they were kicking against the crowd that said, we need to fight the government. We need to get our guns. And we, need to, we, need to, we need to hunker down. And we, no, seriously, there was a lot of revolt going on in Jesus. 60 years before, for instance, 60 years before Jesus walked into Jerusalem on a donkey, you remember a Palm Sunday, Jesus walks in? 60 years prior to that, there was another guy named Jesus. His last name was Maccabeus, and he walked into Jerusalem on a donkey as well. Only he went to the temple just like Jesus went to the temple. Only when he got to the temple, he set up a barricade and built basically a battle station from there. And they were going to kick out the Romans, and they were done. So it's very interesting. Jesus actually copied some of the very same things that people were expecting him to do, but he just turned it all around. And so, and so anyway, the more you know history, the more you can sympathize with the Pharisees because they were just like, you know what? We don't need to fight. We need to be holy. We need to serve God. We need to get back to the book. We need to get back to, and it's so interesting. Jesus is talking about the law of Moses. That's ex- that was their, that was their, their, their thing. Man, that's like that. Like they, they be shouting them down. <laughs> but they, they had a little issue. And the issue is found in Luke 16, earlier in the chapter. Jesus is talking about the afterlife. And he says, he says, use your money. Use your money here to invest in people so that they will be with you there. Use your money here. Use your resources to build the kingdom of God, which is not of this earth. And, 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 and in verse, I think it's verse 13 or 14, Luke says that the Pharisees sneered at him. And he, and he explains, because they loved money. <laughs> they said, okay, fine. I mean, you know, this, this poor itinerant preacher, this poor homeless preacher, Jesus was homeless, this, this poor dude, like, okay, fine, you don't have much money, I get it. You don't think money's that important, sure, but, I mean, really, do we really all need to sell our homes, give everything to the poor? I mean, for real. 
Come on. They sneered at him because, Luke says, they loved money. Which is why I'm excited that Micah's got his offering right down here in the front row. Because you got to... <laughs> Because you've got to be careful, man. Money's great. And it'll buy some great things, but you have to be careful. Even from a young age, you can, you can start to love money. And, and, and it's so dangerous how it sneaks in, even among religious people, even among people who say, man, we've got to follow the Bible, got to get our doctrine right, we've got to preach right, we've got to think right, we've got to sing right, we've got to be good. And, 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 and we don't know about... That's the thing. This rich man, we don't know about his doctrine. We don't know how often he went to church. We don't know if he watched on Facebook. He even checked in on Facebook and shared it for extra holy people. Like, we don't even, we don't know what he did. We don't know if he was a preacher. We don't know if he was a teacher of the law. We don't, we don't have any clue. Jesus doesn't give us any reference about him with regard to the things that the Pharisees justified themselves with. And once again, I, I'm telling you, this life, there is a but now between this life and that life, and, and it flips everything. Abraham says, yeah, this was that and that was that, but now this is this and that is that. See, this story is so interesting because Jesus is trying, he's pleading with the Pharisees. He's not condemning them. He's not judging them. He's not writing them off. He's trying to reason with them. He's trying to get them to see something. And so he doesn't bring a Bible lesson. Instead, he makes up this parable. Most believe this is a made-up parable. Only it's weird because typically in a parable, people don't have names which is why the rich man doesn't have a name. He starts it off like he usually starts parable. There was a certain rich man. That's the way it starts. And in most parables, there was a certain this and a certain that. Just a random, let me just tell you a story. But then he talks about this, this guy named Lazarus. Now, why would you name one guy in the parable and not the other? Well, one obvious point is the fact that the rich man, where he's going, you don't need a name. Because in hell, there is no connection. There is no knowing and there is no being known. There is absolute darkness. You don't have a name. You don't even have a number. You are not a thing. You are not an individual anymore. You don't have your own set of rights. There's no constitution. There's no government. There's no protection. There's no defense. You, you, there's no need for a name. However, where Lazarus is going... There is multiplied connection. Both Abraham and Lazarus both have names. And both Abraham and Lazarus are both recognized. So there is great connection. There is great fellowship. There is great uh, individuality and expression where Lazarus is going. But where the rich man is going, he doesn't need a name. But also, I think, there's, 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 a, there's not a get name given to him. Because really, as you start reading this parable, you have to ask yourself, who exactly is the rich man? Because the story starts off with a rich man and a poor man. And, 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 and the rich man is fed and he's satisfied. And the poor man is hungry and he's desperate. But then the story ends and you have a rich man who is hungry and desperate. And you have a poor man who is fed and satisfied. You, you, you start off, you have a rich man who's living in luxury and a poor man who's living in destitution, but then you end up with a poor man who's living in luxury and a rich man who's living in destitution. You start off with a, with a rich man who's confident and a poor man who's desperate, and you end up with a poor man who's confident and a rich man who's desperate. 
I mean, just like the, everything flips, which means who exactly is the rich man in this parable? Who's the rich guy and who's the poor guy? <laughs> like that's, it's like there's, there, there's a massive shift that happens in the middle of this story and Abraham recognizes it. He says, but now. And when he says, but now, he means everything that you thought, everything that you valued, everything that you built your life upon in your value system is now flipped upside down and now you're entering into the kingdom of God where he sets the value systems. And he tried to tell you about it in the law and the prophets. He tried to give you that perspective, but you read the law and the prophets through your own perspective because you loved money. So that's why this is a perfect scripture for Americans. That's why it's so hard for Americans to really follow God because we tend to love money. And I, I'm, I'm just as guilty as you. Who's in danger of going to hell? That's probably one of the main questions that, that I'm going to get emailed or, or texted. Who's in danger? First off, I am. Because I am one of, like, the top 10% in this world. I, 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 I have a car that doesn't work. It's sitting here right now. And I still have it, even though it doesn't work. It, it, the, the World Health Organization, I was reading this a couple weeks ago, CNN put out this report that at the beginning of the year, they, they projected the amount of people that would suffer, what do they call it, acute critical hunger levels, in other words, starvation. And they, they projected 130 million uh, in 2020 would suffer acute critical levels of hunger. And now, because of COVID-19, and more specifically because of the response of more wealthy nations to COVID-19, they're now doubling that number of 20. Now, I'm not taking away from the, the horrors of COVID-19 because people over 50, over 60, I think now, thousand Americans have died from this, this virus. But we're talking an extra 130 million people. And it's, and, it, and it's good we're doing our part, but it rubs me the wrong way when we pat ourselves on the back, saving lives by staying home and not sending those mercy ships and not taking care, not, not sending that rice, not, not, supporting that, not supporting that missionary. It just, it just bothers me a little bit when we pat ourselves on the back for literally doing nothing. And our doing nothing is actually creating a pretty serious crisis. But, oh, hey, not in our gates. 260 million are dying outside of our gates. So who's in danger of hell? <laughs> Me, and you all, and you. You who have a smartphone. You who have an internet connection in your house. You who have a house. You who have a vehicle. Living on more than, what is it, $1.50 a day? Then you are in the top 50% of this world. So it's very applicable to me and, and to us, we are in danger of hell. 
you can't you, you, you we we often think of like you know like like poor people who 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 would who would they they would be the ones to fall in love with money no it's the one who's the ones who have money and actually when you read this passage a certain rich man oh that's not me i don't know anybody who thinks they're rich even rich people don't think they're rich because the richer you get the more bills you collect because your standard of living goes up and now you're just trying to maintain a standard of living you're not rich <laughs> But your standard of living is like 10 times better than the, than the rest of the world. So I guess maybe we are. And so there's, 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 there's great danger here that we would read this and say, oh, yeah, Donald Trump, right there, there he is, dressed in purple, rich man. You know, or like corporate execs, you know, the guy who owns Amazon, he's pretty rich. You know, some of these business people, they're, no, I'm not. It's crazy how quickly we just, no, it doesn't apply to me. And actually, that's the point, I think. I think that's why Jesus said there's a certain rich man. And because he's talking to Pharisees, and he wants to lower their guard down. You, 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 will, you will lower your guard if we're talking about somebody else. But if I'm talking about you, then you're like, all right. So what's he, what's he, I, don't, I don't know what's he going to say. <laughs> but, if I'm, but, if but if we're just gossiping... <laughs> Come on, somebody. If we're just gossiping, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, so-and-so, right? You know, so. and Jesus, that's, that's, why, that's why Jesus always starts parables like this, because he's like, it's not you. No, I'm not talking about it. Somebody over there, one of those rich people, you know, you know how they are, rich people. And he just, he just goes on. And so the Pharisees are walking down this road. And what's interesting is as Jesus is describing this guy, the Pharisees would be like, this guy is hashtag blessed. <laughs> Man, like this guy, okay, that's not me, but if I got all the prayers that I prayed, if God answered all my prayers, that would so be me. I'll tell you what right now. He's hashtag, I'd be posting that on Facebook, thanking God for the job promotions, thanking God for my, 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 my new wardrobe, dressed in purple, fine linen, living in luxury every day. I mean, if I got my prayers answered, I wouldn't have any bad days. That's what this dude, like, like okay, fine, Jesus, that's not me, but that's where I'm going. That's who I want to be. This guy is is blessed and highly flavored of the lord he's the head and not the tail. i'll tell you what he is the head and not the tail and 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 and, and the Phar the pharisees were the original prosperity guys <laughs> they were the guys who said i mean seriously if you're being blessed in this life it's because god's blessing you it's because you're living a righteous life it's because you're walking with him so he's blessing you and if you're not being blessed, well, you need, to, you need to get your act together. You just need to go get a job. You need to figure things out. You need to get some savings. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to believe. You don't have enough faith. You need to get some more faith. Believe that God can. Are you tithing? Are you even actually tithing? I don't even know if you're tithing. And so, they, I mean, this, this, is their, this is their thinking. So Jesus starts telling this story. Which is amazing, even 2,000 years later, people are still looking at me sideways because they're like, oh, oh, dude, should, I, should I smile? Should I not? Is this good? I don't know. Because it's the same spirit of the Antichrist is still in this world. The same upside-down spirit that wants to invert even the gospel of Jesus and flip it around to make it about something of which God is not even concerned. And that's what actually Jesus said in earlier in this chapter. He says, look, the stuff that people, that impress people, they are detestable to God. 
Because the Pharisees were impressing people. People thought they were righteous. People thought they were well off. And now Jesus is telling a story about a man of whom the Pharisees even would look up to. And this guy's got it going, to, going on. This guy's got it together. There's a rich man. He's dressed in purple. So he's, he's, he's uh, purple would have, would have been a very difficult color to make in those days. It would have been dyed by, I think it was clams, like sea clams that they would use. So it's, it's incredibly expensive linen. And it's fine linen, even nowadays, linen from, from Egyptian linen is still hard to come by. It's still expensive. Well, in those days, it was especially difficult. And so this guy, he's, he's concerned about his outward appearance. The Pharisee's like, well, yeah, you got to put yourself together. you got to present yourself well. I like that. And then at his gate, the dude's even got a gate. Which in those days, they didn't have gates. They were, if, if you look at the archaeological digs and stuff, uh, they were, the, the house is jammed kind of together. But if he has a gate, that means he's out in the countryside. He has an estate. He's got property. He probably has a lot of land, probably has a lot of cattle. He probably has a lot of servants. And he has a, and he has a way to defend himself with a gate, to protect himself, to provide for himself. And Jesus said, at his gate was laid a beggar was laid was laid in other words this beggar this poor man not only was he poor not only does he have sores all over his body according to Jesus but on top of that he must have some kind of physical deformity because he couldn't even make it to the gate himself he had to be laid there by somebody else the word laid actually is bala which means um, to throw out so we don't know if he was kicked out of the rich man's house and put there it does it sounds more like he was dumped off you know he was probably in front of somebody's business they didn't they didn't like it <laughs> have to go political don't we but he's dumped off obviously somebody doesn't want him wherever he was before this was not like oh let, let me help you no he's dumped off uh, maybe family members were tired of supporting him. We don't know. We don't know what the situation was. He's rejected. He's dumped off at this person's gate. And as he's laying there, we'd never know anything about Lazarus, by the way. Jesus never, Lazarus never says a thing. The entire parable. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. We don't even ever know what he's thinking even. Except right here we know that he's covered with sores. Uh, these sores are the kind of sores that would be pussing and oozing. And we do know this about him. In verse 21, Jesus adds that in his heart, in his stomach, he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now, now that doesn't make much sense because, you know, it doesn't mean that the rich man was sloppy when he ate. Um, one, one historian said that whenever... Um, yeah, sorry, it could just come back on me. I'll, I'll, I'll just reference it. Um, one, 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 one historian said that whenever they would eat, so in those days they, would, uh, they didn't have um, chopsticks. It's the wrong part of the world. Um, they didn't have forks and they didn't have spoons or knives. Um, they ate with their hands. Um, they didn't have sanitizer either. So they ate with their hands. And, uh, and, and a lot of what they eat would be soup and different meats and sauces and stuff. And so your hand, and bread, a lot of bread. And so your, your hands get messy. And so they would use some of the worst parts of the bread, like the ends of the bread, the crusty bits, to dry off their hands, to wash off their hands, to wipe off their face, to collect the greases and stuff from their meal. And then they would toss it on the ground. They had dirt floors, toss it on the ground for dogs to come in and gobble up. 
that's what Jesus is talking about, that Lazarus longed to eat from the napkins, if you will, of the rich man. And by the way, if he had a lot of scraps, it was probably not because the rich man was eating so much. It's because he was so well connected. He had a lot of friends who were coming over and eating a lot. So once again, man, this rich man is everything that if we had all of our prayers answered, and we had a great marriage, and we had wonderful kids, and we had great family relationships, and we had a nice house, we had the ability to defend ourselves and protect ourselves and provide for ourselves and host other people, be generous with our friends, all of that stuff. This is the rich man. And then Jesus said, there's this guy who's laying outside of his gate, He's being, he's, he's, he's being over, his body is covered with sores. He's being overcome with this desire to, to, to have the napkins that the rich man would, and his friends would wipe their faces with. It's pretty similar, actually, to what the rich man asks Lazarus when he's in hell. Can you just dip your finger? Don't even, like, I don't need a bucket full. I don't even need a cup. You don't even, if you just give me a napkin from heaven, just dip your finger so that it's still moist and then put that on my tongue. It's very, very similar. Lazarus longed for the napkins of earth. And now the rich man is longing for the napkins of heaven. And, 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 and now he says, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So that word licked doesn't mean that they're like taking care of him. It means that they're kind of chewing on him. Because these dogs, it's not, they, they, they didn't have like dog pets like we have nowadays. So uh, they're, they're, they're wild dogs. And I don't know if you've been in different parts of the world where there's like wild dogs and they come out at night and they kind of terrorize and just eat through stuff. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. So he's, he's referencing the fact that this guy, he doesn't even get pity from the dogs. He has a brutal life. And so on the one hand, Jesus is sharing the story, and there's the Pharisees over there, and they're like, well, yeah, this is what happens when you serve God, you're blessed. And when you don't, well, you don't tithe. I told you to tithe. You know, if you don't tithe, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get a job, if you don't deal with it, you know, that's just the way life is. And that's a bummer for that guy, but man, look how blessed the rich man is. I mean, if he just get his act, if that poor guy just get his act together. Just come to church. Just give his life to Jesus. And they're feeling all the things that would typically justify them are all, all, all at play. Meanwhile, there are other people listening. There are, well, Jesus' disciples, for instance, none of whom, except maybe Matthew, were particularly well off. They were all you know, fishermen, poor people. And they're listening, and they're like, yeah, see, this is why I don't get <laughs> This is what it, this this right here. This this is why I don't believe in God right here. How many Austinites have told me this is why I don't believe in God because because junk like this happens to good people. If God's good, if He's in charge, if He's whatever, all knowing, all power, why in the world do guys like Lazarus get the short end of every stick? get beaten up by everybody nobody wants him his own family or whoever dumps him off at this place he's he's crippled he's poor he has sores all over his body and then the dogs are chewing on him like this is why religion is a sham this is why i don't believe in god because a good god wouldn't let that happen 
I'm not saying that that's what the disciples were thinking, but if they were Austinites, that's exactly what they'd be thinking. Because <laughs> I've talked to several Austinites, and that's, that's the thing, man. Human suffering, that's, that, is, that is proof that there's no God. That's proof, because if there was, he would not just let this world spin out of control like this. You wouldn't have 260 million people facing starvation in 2020. And all the trafficked children and, and all of the evil regimes and all of the concentration camps. And I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I mean, like, right now. And see, that's why we don't serve God. That's why we don't believe in him, because he lets crazy stuff like this happen. And that's just not the kind of God that I want to believe in. Jesus is he's painting two extreme pictures. One, you have a guy who's got a perfectly charmed life, which is way more charmed than anybody would ever experience. And then another guy, you got is so broken, so destitute, probably nobody that's listening to him had actually experienced a life like that. But he's, he's grabbing these two extremes in order to, to, to teach a lesson. All right, kids, well, I didn't, I didn't, didn't quite get to the altar call, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you the rest when we get home. They got to go feed the horse at 1130. So um, now he's grabbing these two ex different extremes in order to teach a lesson. And then, and then, and then he, he, he talks about their life, the unfairness of their life. And then he says, the time came when the beggar died. And you think, well, there's some relief, right? Finally, he gets to rest. But actually, in those days, if you died as a beggar out on the street, they wouldn't bury you. Uh, they would take you out with the trash and toss you in Gehenna, which is uh, the, the, the Jewish garbage dump. They kept a fire burning there. So they literally just toss his body onto the fire heap and let it burn. Interestingly enough, Gehenna is also a word used um, for hell. So it's so, it's so interesting. The, the, the Pharisees know that this guy who, who was a sinner, who, who wouldn't have been able to go to church, wouldn't have been able to go to the, the temple because he was unclean. This guy who was far from God, you know where he's going. He's going, one, to Gehenna, the literal Gehenna, because that's where they have to dispose of the body. But that's also symbolic of the fact that his life was unclean. And when he dies, he is also going to hell. The Pharisees know how the story is going to end. But it doesn't end that way. It's weird. This, this guy who wasn't a part of the religious community... This guy who seemed to have been cursed by God and suffered so much through his life, yet Jesus says he dies, and they toss him on the garbage heap. He tosses his body on the garbage heap, but while his body is, is burning in the physical Gehenna, angels come and carry his spirit to Abraham's side. Now, this has to be infuriating for the Pharisees. Like, this is... This is not how things are supposed to go. This is not how this is supposed to work, Jesus. What did this guy do to deserve heaven? Like, and, 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 and yet, the name Lazarus is very interesting. Jesus named his fictional character Lazarus. Lazarus means the Lord helps. <laughs> so if you want to know how to get to heaven, well, you're going to need some help. If you want to get to hell you can do that all on your own independent provide for yourself defend for yourself build up your life and this is where things take a sudden turn 
He is carried away to Abraham's side. And then the rich man who also died and was buried. He didn't say that about the poor man. But the rich man had a proper burial. And all his friends gathered around and shared about how he just used to love fly fishing. And, and he's just, just such a nice guy. Help anybody out. I mean, if you're in his social circle. Uh, <laughs> and he's just, he's just great. He always just, he just, he's loved playing badminton. And I don't know what else. But they, they had a proper funeral. He was buried. But then something changed. Verse 23, in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. And this is what he said to Abraham. He said, Father Abraham. Now, the Pharisees would have caught that. Father? So he's a son of Abraham. Because Abraham also says son. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. This guy's the son of Abraham. He's following uh, our religious principles. He's being blessed physically by that. He has a lot of people around him who think he's great, who think he's going to heaven, and then he, en he ends up in torment? This is what torment is. That's what hell is. Hell is torment. It means agony. It means pain. And what exactly it looks like, I don't know. There are various descriptions. The bottom line is that it is torment and it is eternal. There's a but now moment, and everything flips. Everything changes, and, and he has this exchange. Honestly, this whole story is about the rich man. It's not about Lazarus. Lazarus is a, is a prop. Lazarus is the, the, the opposite. Lazarus is there for contrast, but the story is really about the rich man because Jesus is talking to a bunch of rich people. And those were rich people in those days. So compared to us, they're incredibly poor. They didn't even have running water. Or doors, for that matter. And he's talking to them because they love money. And he says, you don't understand. This whole thing is upside down. This whole thing is backward. This whole value system, it's completely trash. It's, you just have to throw it out and start over. Like, you literally just have to, to move away from this. And he's explaining, and, 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 and he's having this conversation with Abraham. And you can see in the conversation that the rich man is getting more and more desperate, trying to get something, some little relief for himself first. And that's something else that's interesting. I don't think hell is necessarily uh, redemptive. The rich man doesn't learn anything. He's still seeking pleasure for himself. Even in the midst of absolute torment, he's still trying to get something out of it for himself because hell isn't redemptive. It doesn't make you a better person. Light bulbs don't turn on in hell. You are, it's actually punitive. So it's just judgment. And it's, it's almost a freezing and a cementing of your rebellion. Which is why hell is eternal, because, because there's no room for repentance, because there's no spirit of God, there's no glory of God, there's no grace, there's no goodness. And even in this world, as rough as this world is, you look outside and there's evidence of the goodness of God. 
You look even at, at certain political structures, and there's evidence of grace and the goodness of God. You look at relationships, and there's evidence of grace and the goodness of God. You look at, at different, even world leaders, and there's evidence of some grace and some goodness of God because his glory, he hasn't taken it from this world yet. And so his glory is still very much here, and, and he's still speaking to us, right? Morning uh, and, and uh, summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy and love i don't need no confidence monitor that's what i'm talking about we like you know like this is this this, this this all of creation is is bubbling is <laughs> bubbling over with his goodness even in amidst suffering but in hell there is no goodness there is no grace there is no mercy there is no redemption there's no Holy Spirit drawing and wooing and convincing and convicting. There's, there's just a cementing. This guy is still looking out for himself. He's got nothing to lose. And he's still asking. And not only is he looking out for himself, but he says, hey, could you send Lazarus down? <laughs> like, wait a minute. You, 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 haven't, you haven't learned the lesson of this story, have you? Lazarus is not your servant. Lazarus actually is the rich man. But, but, but the rich man says, could you, could, could you send Lazarus down and uh, get, him, get him to help me out? And then, okay, fine, if you want to help me, send him to go help my brothers. Because that's what he's there for, to help people, right? People like me and my brothers. He still has his same mentality that it's about him, it's about his family, it's about what he desires and what he cares about. And Abraham keeps trying to tell him, look, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And then Abraham gives us the secret to what will work. He said, look, if they, if they can listen to Moses and the prophets. In other words, the written word of God. Moses would be the first five books of the Bible. The prophets would literally be the rest of the Old Testament. The major, minor prophets and the poetic prophets. It's basically the entire Old Testament. If they, if they can just read that, not from the filter of how is this going to help me financially or emotionally or relationally, how is this going to build up things that are temporary, but if they could just read that from truth, they could just take the word of God and apply it to their lives, they won't go here. And that's the Old Testament. We actually have even more than that. We have great revelation on the Old Testament in the New Testament. Uh, just in closing, I want to read from 2 Peter uh, 2. Uh, let me see. I'm going to have to pull it up here on my, my Bible app. Uh, there's a whole interesting passage in 2 Peter where he talks about um, the afterlife and specifically the judgment of God. And in verse 4, really this is about a warning to false prophets it's warning to false prophets who apparently are saying that God won't judge them because God doesn't judge people he hasn't judged anyone in the past and he's not going to judge anyone in the future and that's actually a pretty popular sentiment nowadays uh, here in 2020 and, I, and I've had some discussions with people former members of City Chapel where we talk about that and they really have been listening to people like Rob Bell who's a heretic, so don't listen to him. Uh, and, and, and other people who just 
seemed to have this new revelation that, you know what, certain sins are okay. They're not really sins, actually, because those scriptures don't actually apply anymore. <laughs> Be careful when you're cutting scriptures out of the, the Bible, because he said you, they, they have the law and the prophets, so that's enough. Just, just the Old Testament. And then we're like, well, parts of that really don't apply to us, right? We'll just cut those out. And, 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 and I was talking to this person in our church who had been listening to a lot of those kinds of, of teaching, and they had come to the conclusion that they didn't think there was a hell, that God wouldn't do that. Uh, or, uh, to quote exactly, a God of love wouldn't do that. Um, and yet, I think, I think in part, that's just because uh, our version of love is not his version of love. Our version of uh, acceptance is not his version of acceptance. And honestly, I think a lot of it just comes down to the fact that we have a God of love in our mind, but then there's a God of the Bible who doesn't exactly fit that God. And so we choose the God in our mind over the God in his word. And this is exactly how the Pharisees became so deceived. And so I want to challenge you, if you're watching online today, I want to challenge you to get in a, a Bible-believing church that teaches the, the Bible, like the whole Bible, not just a couple verses a, a hundred times over, but like, this read, like reading the Bible, uh, devoting our lives to the Bible, because that's what Abraham said. This is, this, is what would, this is what would save you. If you just read the Old Testament, you'd be good. Because in the Old Testament, you have whole, God's whole plan of salvation, actually. Uh, but he's saying, look, it's right, it's right there. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of a small group that's digging into the Bible, be a part of a church that's preaching the Bible, and personally yourself get into the Bible. Just start with all the red letters if you want. Everything Jesus said, just go, just go there. And you will be amazed. You'll be amazed at how often Jesus says things that are just plain confrontational. Just, just they just don't line up with those five verses that you've you've memorized. There's so much more to his his nature, his character. And it's, it's right here in 2 Peter even, where there's a warning. There's a lot of warnings in Scripture, and, and they're not for nothing. This warning in verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 2 says, For if God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Right? So he's, he's starting way back before the, the creation of man, during the fall of Lucifer and his angels, which, by the way, is what the kids are learning about today in kids' church, if your kids are watching the program. That's what they're learning about. Because God started way back, that, that, that they sinned. Think, think about this for just a minute. Lucifer sinned once. And God ejected him out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. He sins once. And he's done. Toast. <laughs> yeah, he's done. And, 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 yet, and, yet, and yet for us, the first time I sinned, God didn't zap me. The second time I sinned, God didn't zap me. The hundredth time I sinned, God did not zap me. Why? Because for us, he's having so much mercy. There's so much mercy for, for men, not for angels. It's brutal for angels. 
And, 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 and Peter is saying, look, just because God's having mercy on us doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want. Like, you have to respond to his mercy and receive it, thank him for it, and then follow him, walk with him. So he says, look, guys, let me just give you a little warning. Starting with the angels, if they sinned, immediately they were put into chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And then in verse 5, he says, look, if he didn't spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on ungodly people, but he also protected Noah. Notice you have a rich man and you have a Lazarus. You have the ancient world being judged and you have Noah and his family being saved. He brought the flood on ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, meaning Noah was the eighth person. Eight is a number for new beginnings. Noah's also the one who started the new, the new earth after that. And then in verse six, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, by burning them to ashes, made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. But at the same time, look, he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. So once again, you have the rich man, you have Lazarus. You have judgment coming and you have salvation coming. And it's all dependent on how we respond to him. And so Lot was, was a godly man and God saved him from Sodom and Gomorrah. If this, verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment. This is especially true, the unrighteous, the, the unrighteous for punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. I think that's really important, despising authority. I think a lot of the complaints that we have against God is really just, how dare he do that? How dare he tell me that? How dare he create this space that I don't agree with called hell? How dare he? And honestly, a lot of that is because our version of God is tainted by our version of our earthly father. And for many of us, we had fathers and mothers who were so insecure in themselves. They just wanted to be our friends. They just wanted us to like them. And so they never taught us any strength of authority. And so we have a generation that hates authority, thinks authority is spoiling their fun. Authority is something to hide from. Authority is something to sneak around. But man, in all of life, look, authority is helpful. I don't like speed limits, but the governing authorities are helpful. I don't, it's good to have authority in, in, in church. It's good to have leaders and elders in churches. It's good to have pastor, pastoral authority. It's good to have authority within a family. It's good for a father to be able to have the authority and a mother to be able to have authority over their kids, not have to explain everything. My kids aren't here right now, but they, they could tell you, dad doesn't have to explain himself. What I do doesn't have, what I tell them to do doesn't have to make sense to them. Because as I've explained, I've been around 40 years. It's a long time. They've been around eight years and 11 years. And if God wanted them to tell me what to do, they would have, God would have made them my parents. Instead, God gave me parents who taught me about authority. Now I'm teaching them. And so part of the problem is you just, you just never, you just, you just never got beat as a kid. I'm just sorry. That's just, that's just, you never had somebody snap you out of this weird thing that you are the center of the universe. Nobody just grabbed you and said, no, you're not. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. 
And then, and then you came to your employer and you were shocked when he let you go. And then you came to your govern, government and you were shocked when they took your license away from you because all you were doing is speeding. I mean, that's not so bad, right? And, but the consequences constantly are getting greater and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm telling you, God is also a God of authority. And I, if, I, if, if, if Harry Fleming had written the book, I, I would not have done a health part personally. But Harry Fleming didn't write the book. And he's, he didn't even ask me. He's not checking with you or me. He doesn't give me an option. This is not like a choose your end kind of story. I mean, this is just, this, he's telling us and warning us. He's calling out to us. What, what amazing mercy that for an entire lifetime, God would continually call out to us. I saw uh, years ago, an illustration and a guy had a had a rope I got this from our farm I'm just gonna close with this rope illustration so I don't know how long this actually is um, actually I have some people in the room see so yeah Jonathan's grabbing that so it's, it's, it's kind of long maybe 30 feet maybe I don't know it's kind of lit oh it broke uh, it was tied at different ends I think um, this is just an example, I suppose, so it's not quite perfect, an imperfect parable. But let's imagine that this rope was eternally long. Let's say it was, it was 30 feet, and then we tied it back together. And Anyway, and it, it kept wrapping around the sanctuary and around the sanctuary and around. Maybe it was 300, 400, maybe 1,000 feet, maybe, um, maybe a million feet. Just kind of stacked all the way up in here, filled, and you couldn't see me online, and I was pulling through these ropes. Um, that would... That would start to explain maybe this being your life. This is the extent of your existence. It just keeps going and going and going. And let's imagine this, this little bit of tape here on the end. This is your life on earth. This is your time on earth. This is your 70 years maybe you get. Maybe 20, maybe 50, we don't know. But this is your time on earth. It's a little longer for some, a little shorter for others. And, and what if I told you that everything that... That, that what you did in here affected all, all, all of this. That, that, what if I told you that your fate for all of this was tied into what you did right here? That you would either be in heaven or in hell based on what you did here. And once again, it's not in, 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 with regard to your good works. It's re with regard to one particular good work, and that is submitting to Christ. And, and it's amazing to me that this is, I think, a pretty good illustration of what heaven and hell is about. Is that we currently, we live right here, and we're so focused on this, and it's like this is everything we got to get more for this and we have to get more comfortable for that and we have to be fulfilled in our callings and that you know because you can turn it into spiritual stuff too it's like oh i need to be serving and preaching and doing all of the godly things and it's like it's like all right here i gotta save the world and get on tbn and i don't want to get on TBN. but anyway uh you know it's like all, all whatever our goals might be 90 percent of our goals are right here what do you want for your kids? Well, I'd like for them to have a successful marriage and good children and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a good job. I've rarely heard people say, well, I want them to go to heaven. Because most of our goals are like right here. And yeah, you can be rich here and poor all of this. 
Or you can actually be poor here and rich, all of this. The difference is perspective. Jesus is giving the Pharisees the gift of perspective. And Lord, I pray that you give us that same gift today. Open up our eyes. That's, that's all perspective is. It's a new vision. It's a new angle on what we already know or what we already think we know on this life. Give us a divine perspective. Give us an eternal perspective. Help us to use, as you said in Luke 16, use this life, whether it's money, time, gifts, callings, whatever we have. Let's use this life to bring people into heaven. Let's use our money to bring people into heaven. Use our time to bring, use our Facebook accounts to bring people into heaven. Use whatever we have. As the song says, all I have is yours. So maybe God is calling you just to lay down your life to him, submit all that you have to him. If you're watching online, look, this, this, is, just, this is just his Holy Spirit drawing you, bringing a new perspective to your mind, bringing new thoughts into your mind. And I guess like the guy in the video, you just got to say yes to him. He'll show you the way. He'll show you the next step. He'll, he'll help you along that path. And we will also, we'll walk with you. In fact, he'll show you how to be a godly parent and give your children a better idea of the heavenly father maybe than you had. A father who loves them enough to let them know that they need to be under authority. They need to be submitted to authority. That it's actually good for them. It's helpful. It's for their protection. It's for their, their benefit. There's such heaven under your wings, Lord. So we come under your authority. First, as parents ourselves, we come under you. We ask you to teach us how to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's a lovely day outside, and uh, the doors are open. We're ready to go hang out. Um, are you showing me something? Oh, yes.